You're listening to highlights from the creative process interview with Dr. Stanley Andres. This podcast is supported by the Yan Mashomsky Foundation. When I went into prison, I had been going through this process of the way the system sees pretty much anyone that goes to the system, but specifically people that happen to be my skin tone, my sentencing day. I can recall the prosecutor and, and defense attorney kind of going back and forth. The prosecutor was painting this picture of me being this dangerous threat to society. And all of these things, it wasn't as if she was making things up. A lot of it was true. I had been making some very poor decisions. And it just culminated in me feeling as if I was just scum. I was this, you know, less than human, terrible thing. And when the judge came down with their 10 year sentence, it was just this shocking thing that had me thrown aback for a moment. And, and when I finally came back to, I asked the judge if I could, you know, hug my mother and the judge denied me the opportunity to hug my mom, who at this point was bawling in tears in the, in the back of the courtroom. And it was this moment that I realized that the system intentionally needs to dehumanize individuals in order to put them in cages. And so I went in feeling completely deflated and hopeless and feeling like my life was over. And it was, you know, this mentor that stepped into my life tied with my father who almost immediately over the course of about two years, went through a number of surgeries and hospitalizations and eventually ended up losing his battle with type two diabetes. And it was that really drew me into being interested in learning about diabetes. And it was this mentor who helped provide those scientific articles and helped me through learning and reading and self-teaching through these very difficult texts. But in that process, it was this epiphany moment, this moment of change in myself that I started to feel human. I wasn't trying to get out and, and become what I am now. I had fallen in love with learning about the human cell and physiology, but that motivated me to change. And this mentor that was pushing me to continue my education, I eventually put together a number of applications before I was even released to continue my education and was rejected from all of those places, except for St. Louis University, where he was on the admissions committee. At. From there, I got into St. Louis University and completed my uh, PhD and MBA simultaneously at the top of my class. Eventually moved on to those places that I mentioned, Hopkins, Howard, Georgetown, Imperial, and, and sitting where I am today. But along that journey, I encountered a number of roadblocks and challenges and hurdles, and there really wasn't any roadmap. And I had really no true source of understanding how to get through this. I had a good support system and I had mentors. So I realized that is one of the keys to get through these hurdles that nobody has a roadmap. And that was the motivation behind starting the organization is that if you give people just a little bit of support and mentorship, most of the time they already have what's, they already have it within them to be what they want to be. They just need a little bit of extra support. In terms of the organization, Prisons Professional started first, of course, and it was started out of this need to set a roadmap for folks. And so we put together this roadmap towards obtaining higher education that helps people feel this sense of purpose and value. 
we, we see ourselves as a re-entry organization that's focused on education and mentoring. But early on, it was a little more difficult to build this body of mentors. But now almost 90% of those people that go through the program, we transition them into mentors. So the, the program is a one-year program where there's about 10 to 12 weeks or you know about three months worth of weekly workshops and programming to build soft skills like resume writing, personal statement writing, how to do a job interview, how to tell your story, how to be a strong college student or how to be a strong employee at places that don't necessarily have infrastructures to understand who you are. So first 12 weeks are things like that and financial management, mental health, and a, a bunch of kind of wraparound things. After the first weeks, the next 10 months is an individualized mentoring and coaching on a weekly basis where we connect them to at least three individuals, one of which is a formerly incarcerated person, and then one person and is a specific to the field that they're looking to get into. And then one person serves as this educational accountability partner or tutor that helps them through like the challenging academic aspects. We started helping others that we were incarcerated with. But then when we actually founded the organization, we knew that we couldn't just be on the ground doing direct services, that we needed to be working on policy as well and changing the laws and policies and ways that people access and the opportunities. So we started a policy initiative to ban the bots or remove the criminal conviction from employment and education. And from that, my story got picked up by the Washington Post and, and subsequently spiraled into a bunch of different news articles from PBS to NBC to ABC and, and different things of that nature. We've been in operation for about five years now, and we have about 100 people that complete our program. We call it the formerly and currently incarcerated men and women that completed scholars. So we have about 100 scholars that complete per year. There's 35 different states represented within those groups of individuals and several countries from around the world represented within those individuals. And we have a good understanding of where people are and what they're trying to do. And there's not very many people that are in my position. Now within our network, we have several people that are pushing toward we We received uh, five and a half million as a partnership grant from the National Science Foundation to start something called STEM Ops, STEM Opportunities in Prison Settings. It's a partnership with prisons and professionals, the organization I co-founded, Princeton, Vanderbilt, Education Development Center and Operation Restoration. And from that, we're hoping to really change what you just said, help more individuals that want to pursue STEM education and also creating the pipelines and infrastructure to help them move into those places. As amazing as my story, some folks feel is, I, I think the immigrant story of, of my parents and just many other immigrants in this country is just incredible and, and the challenges that they faced and endured and overcome is really just an understatement for me to share a few words on. Haiti is the first Black nation in the world to have gained its independence from European colonization. And in that process, just to give a quick history, as they gained their independence from France and Napoleon, who was thought to be the greatest 
general in the world at the time and beating France was like, how could this black nation do that? So for years, they were penalized for that. And subsequently, as the word is called blackball from world trade. And because of that became the world's poorest country. And so I think there needs to be that understanding that Haiti is not the world's poorest country because of poor leadership, as many paint the picture to be. They were in many ways forced into this because of what they did for the world and changing the United States. Also, we, we may not be where we were without that victory of Haiti. But nonetheless, that resulted in a, a century and a half later, my parents enduring one of the most difficult times of Haiti's history under the semi-dictatorship of the Duvaliers and just enduring some very challenging situations that forced them to, or motivated them to come to the United States. And in doing that, just fled and came with very little resources and my family bounced around from, you know, Miami to New York, to Detroit, and eventually landing in St. Louis. And he kept bouncing around. My, my dad would find a job. And at the time, telling folks that you're an Asian immigrant, you know, Haiti was not only the poorest country, it was also seen as a country of less than human individuals. So he had some challenges finding employment and we had periods of uh, homelessness, and we were fortunate enough that some church-going folks really uh, helped us out at one particularly critical point where they were considering going back to Haiti, and that resulted in my dad finding a job in St. Louis and me being born, you know, really just started my journey. It is never too late to do good, and I would implore young people to be patient, patient in their selves and patient in the understanding of the world. And I know that's challenging uh, to do as a young person. And even more so, I would implore the adults in young people's lives to be patient with that individual and have the understanding that it is never too late. The challenges that they face can be overcome and just support them, love them, and believe in them. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.